Father, thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would give us wisdom this morning, hearts to receive your word. It's a difficult passage that we have. pray that you give grace where it's needed and impart the meaning behind it in spite of what I may say sometimes. Um, just be with us this morning. Thank you for those who are here and their faithfulness to be here on time. Uh, just be uh, gracious to us this morning and lift up Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. All right, we are in Exodus 21. We've rounded a corner and are now, um, are now working past Exodus 20. So Exodus 21. And we've been working through, or we're starting to work through, the Book of the Covenant. We talked last week about the differences between uh, prescriptive law and descriptive law. Who remembers what that is? Big $10 word. Prescriptive law is do this exactly this way like the Ten Commandments. Okay. Descriptive law would be based off those Ten Commandments. These are now ordinances that uh, elaborate on those. Okay. So, pre- yeah, go ahead. I, I was, okay, I think of it as, uh, if it's prescriptive, it's like we prescribe a medicine for a problem. Uh-huh. So it's, the Ten Commandments are kind of prescribing what uh, the, the issues are in our, in our heart. Okay. The overall issues. But the, but the descriptive is kind of the details. How that, how that's supposed to look. Okay. In so, time and place. Okay. Right? It, with, with prescriptive, th- those are... Th- those are timeless. Those are timeless. That's the nature of God. The ten testimonies, the, the Ten Commandments are called. The Ten Words, Ten Commandments, Ten Testimonies, it's all kind of the same, comes from the same uh, word. Um, and they reflect the nature of God and call us to reflect His nature in the covenant community. But he gives Moses these other obligations that we talked about last week. Um, and he gives a picture of how the ten words are to be worked out in their, in their community. And it's, it's, it's right along with the Decalogue, this, this next section. Um, uh, it's called the Book of the Covenant. How we started, it, it, it falls into five sections, by the way, this, this Book of the Covenant. So we're going to try to do. Um, I'm not going to do one a week, but we're going to. But we're going to. But we're going to cover them. And it's this way. First, and we focused on on that one, the first one last week. The, the issues on how the covenant community is to approach the presence of God. We talked about the type of altar, type of clothing that the priests are supposed to wear. Clothing, uh, how that worked. Um, uh, and then this week we begin working through the social laws, and that's chapter 21 through chapter 22. Um, Then the next section is moral laws that emphasize the treatment of the underprivileged. Uh, That's 22, uh, verse 21 through 23, verse 9. And then there's the observance, the fourth uh, one is the observance of the Sabbath and the festivals. And then the fifth and final one outlines God's provision for them to enable them to conquer Canaan. That's in chapter 23, starting verse 20. But today we're beginning the second section, 
And the very first, the very first social issue that God addresses with the covenant community is slavery. How slavery is to work in Israel. Does that bother you? I have struggled with this all week long, how to, how to approach this, because it bothers me. Why in the world would he start here? Let's read it. Chapter 21, verse 1. Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh year he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the, if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. Verse 7. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, he shall not go out as the male slaves do. If She shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master, who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since he has broken faith with her. <coughs> if he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as with a daughter. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing or her marital rights if and if he does not do these three things for her she shall go out for nothing without payment of money what in the world is going on here why would he start with slavery the next section is dealing with murder how you deal with capital punishment very hot issue. Let's get there. How are we going to deal with that? Why slavery? This is where I toss it to you. Why slavery? <coughs> Any ideas? Weren't they just delivered from slavery? Interesting. Well, why would that be significant? Yeah. Why wouldn't he? This is supposed to be a new nation, a new community. Let's be different, distinct. Isn't that what we're called to be? And yet there's slavery. That's an issue, isn't it? They just come out of slavery. And it's interesting that um, these aren't like foreigners that are their slaves. They're, they're their own people. They're Hebrew slaves. So it's just kind of, I guess, the way it worked. I mean, the government was set up. I don't know if government's the best word. But 
indentured servant. Very good. That's what's in view here. You have someone paying the debt of another who is destitute. And as part of that debt payment, the debtor would serve them, but no more than six years. Israel had just come out of slavery. God is using the cultural norms to show Israel how they were to be distinct from the Egyptians. Was there hope of uh, redemption, hope of getting out of slavery in Egypt? We have 400 years that say no. And yet here, God is providing, making Israel distinct and how they were to handle the issue of debt. Israel's laws were strong in contrast to the harsh rules of the nations around them in the Middle East. Slaves in Israel were very well treated and protected. It was illegal to oppress a slave. Slaves had rights of Sabbath rest and national festivals. And often they became part of the family with rights and positions of trust. We're not talking about gone with the wind or roots here. Absolutely. This is an employer-employee situation. That's what the deal is here. This is not a conquered people enslaved for the rest of their lives. This is a Hebrew citizen who has become destitute, lost their land, has no way to pay off their debt because they've lost their land. And so someone else more, of more means pays their debt for them and accepts their service in response. Yeah? I was just thinking, and in that context, then it's a real grace um, rather than, than starve and your whole family starve. There's, there's a way for you and your family to be taken care of and to work off. And to work off the debt, the debt that's been, yeah. And, and there's a limit to it. It's six years. All right, let's go through it. Verse 1. It says now in the ESV, other translations would say and, and the idea here is that there is a connection with the Decalogue, that, 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 that there is a, a continuation of how we work this out, but it's a new uh, section of material. It's ordinances, the case law that's based upon the prescriptive laws uh, which establish general principles. So who was supposed to know about these laws? Was it, was, did, you, did you have to enact it to find out what was in the law? Is that what's going on here? You won't, won't see the benefits of it until it's enacted. No, everybody's supposed to know this ahead of time. This is what we're entering into. They're going to ratify the covenant later in verse... Uh, thank you for getting that, Clint. I appreciate it. Um, chapter 23, 24, they ratify the covenant. They all know what's in it. It's not vote on it and then find out what it's in later, like recent legislation in our country has done. Um, so there's a contrast here with Egypt. As far as we know, they did not have a codified law in Egypt. Whatever Pharaoh said, that was the law. What does that open you up to? Whatever Pharaoh said, that was the law. Corruption. Corruption? Because Pharaoh thought he was God. Because Pharaoh thought he was God. Pharaohs die. Laws change. The word of God stands forever. Even God, seeing, I mean, who, who has more of a right to to be uh, in a whim than God. 
But he provides a written code. It doesn't change. This is the covenant. And uh, whatever Pharaoh said was the law, but the God of the Hebrews reveals his law in writing to all people, not just to an elite, not just to a bunch of guys in funny hats, but to the people themselves. There, there were other written codes by this time, but Sinai was a great advancement over them. Um, the Mesopotamian codes around them had a notable lack of emphasis on ethical and spiritual matters. There was an inferior value placed on human life, and especially as it relates to slaves. Punishment for slaves committing crimes was much more severe than, than a freed man or uh, even the elite. Uh, the, the, the punishment was, was much more it severe. Never, never. Um, what we're talking about is indenture. Um, I mean, think about, think about the situation there. You, you have a, a small landowner or a farmer. You go through a 2010-2011 drought period. Your way of livelihood is, is shot. You have nothing to sell. No way to support your family. So many times, after giving up their land, selling their land to try to pay off creditors, they would sell themselves into slavery or members of their family into slavery for that period of time to work off that debt. This code acts as a protection for the debtor in that situation. Is it lifelong? No. There's a hope of freedom here. It's six years. That's kind of random, though, isn't it? Six years, seven years free. Just kind of a, and, and what else have we talked about? Sabbath. It's the Sabbath year. Yes. You're in, excellent. You're you're anticipating. If you were uh, fortunate enough to go to sell yourself into slavery, the 49th year. <laughs> You have one year of indentured servanthood, and then you're free. And there's, See, there's even like something that says, like, don't refuse to take slaves just because you know that it's... Right, slave. right. So there's, this all, there's a very uh, huge focus on those who are destitute and, and being kind and generous to them. Um, why make them serve any time at all if we're going to do this? Why serve any time at all? Why not just say, eh, debt. In what way does it represent the justice of God? Well, if, if God was not just, he'd say, everybody goes to heaven. There's no penalty, there's no payment, there's no sacrifice or substitution for sin. And so in the same way, when somebody owes something, to hold them accountable and to be just, they have to pay that. Who gets hosed if we just let everybody go free? Everybody. The master, the creditor, and what Society. prescriptive what prescriptive law does that violate? There's a commandment. Steal. Shall not steal. You borrow money, you don't pay it back, that's theft. Here's a way for them to pay it back with what they have, which is the means of labor. So he's taking into account both sides of the equation here. They don't just get to declare bankruptcy and walk away. There is a prescriptive purpose behind what is going on. So what happens with the, with the family here? This is where it gets dicey. 
he goes in single, what happens? Seventh year, comes out single and debt-free. He is now a prime bachelor waiting, waiting for his, his woman. <laughs> I think he would learn after six years to probably be, pay attention to that. All right. If he's married when he goes in, he's married when he goes in, what happens? <laughs> she goes out with him. Seems fair. You leave with what you brought, right? Yeah, they did not break up families. It was a voluntary entered in, you put yourself on the block to go into indentured servitude to pay off your debt, and the whole family is involved, or, or the family stays at the house while the husband goes and serves daily, either in the fields or, or whatever is, is going on. Yeah. They didn't break up families. Okay. So they didn't sell one family at the same time? I mean, did they do any slave trading at all? Well, it, went up to the, it was then up to the family that needed to pay off the debt. Who was entered who was in? Gonna, who was going to be entered right. in slavery. It wasn't the master. Right. It was the family's, it was the family's voluntarily going into it. I mean, the, either the guy who owed it voluntarily went in. Or, or he and his wife would serve if they had a lot of debt and they need to do it. I mean, you've got to be attractive to the master who wants to buy and pay off your debt. You know, this amount for just one guy is probably not going to do it. If I have a whole family come in, well, that's a lot of people working for me that would, that would help pay off that, pay off that debt. So, it was just like the master, or just like the, the father of the family or something that became the indentured servant, then like, the master would kind of, by default, like, provide for the family. Right. I mean, that's and, and yes, that was part of it. Is that they that there was provision made for the for the slaves. Um, these were their brothers. I mean, if you if you bought a Hebrew slave as a Hebrew, this is your brother. This is a, this is the culture. This is they're all Israelites. Uh, so there was a, a a concern to treat them well. What's going on in verse four? If his master gives him a wife. And she bears him sons or daughters. The wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. What's up with that? So, his wife was a gift Okay, right. So, Say, a woman had, had also, I mean, because this applies to women as well. We see this in Deuteronomy 15. Women could also enter into indentured servitude for the debts of their family or their father or whatever. If he, the master, gives the slave a wife, which remember, women in the cultures around were, uh, were in danger. And so this was, also, this was a kind of a grace, really, to have her with somebody, to be protected, to have a covering, to all this kind of stuff. Uh, but he gives to his slave this wife, and notice it's a wife. So there's rights and responsibilities there. Would yes. It would be another slave. And this is at least in this situation, it's it's anticipating a slave. Um, yes. Well, hang on. We'll get there. 
If the debtor slave is given a slave wife during his bondage, then the woman and any children are not freed at the sabbatical year or at the jubilee. And other cultures had this problem, this provision as well. Only if she was married to the man prior to the debtor-master agreement would she be released from service. So what do we do with that? Do we, are we breaking up families here? I want to go ahead and spill the beans on this because I see this concerning your eyes. Um, there was a way in Leviticus uh, that they are given uh, the ability to ransom their wives and their children from the master through, uh, through other means, through, through paying it, working elsewhere, and, and paying out. They're not without options there. They continue to have the option to redeem their families. But there's another option, not just going out and working and redeeming them. What's the other option? Is this forced? It's voluntary. It's voluntary. I'd say a wife and kids is a little bit of incentive. A little bit of incentive? He could work it off. It doesn't mean that he doesn't get to see them. It just means that they are still working for the master. They're not working for him at his new place, at his new land, and on all this. I mean, that, they're not, you know. But he, they're serving someone else, not their own house. Well, I'm confused. If the woman was a slave too, then wouldn't she already be eligible for release on the seventh year? It's a little different, isn't it? Not in this situation. So why not? Is I don't she, know. Okay, so if she's a slave and then she gets married, then suddenly she's not going to go free? Well, she is bound to her husband until he's released. And then she's continues, she continues to work for the master, but she's, still but she's still married to him. But why doesn't she go free on the seventh year? Maybe she hasn't been there seven years. But, but she's still living when, when, when her time is up, she's still, unless she's redeemed or unless this happens. So in this case, it's not voluntary. In her case, no, she's still a slave. That's what I'm getting. I'm thinking the man maybe has been a slave for five years, mm -hmm. and then the owner gets another slave that's a woman, and so he gives the woman to the slave man for life. She's only been there, you know, she just started, so she hasn't been there for seven years yet, right? She doesn't leave with him, but she. But you're saying that she can have... That's what I was wondering, if, if, there, if they came at different times, would she still have to serve out her six years, but then she... I guess we're not told that. We're not told. And I and I I don't know. That would seem logical to me that she would still serve out her the rest of her seven years. Um, or six years. Like, but she doesn't get to go with him. It's her first year and it's his sixth year. Right. Then he'll get to go free, but maybe she has to serve, still serve out her six years. Maybe. That would seem logical. Okay. It, it, it does seem like a tax situation. All right. It seems like that. This is, this is not unique to uh, Hebrew culture. This idea of marrying in, during the time of slavery was part of their culture. I think a lot of times we have a very difficult issue with these kinds of things. 
especially in 10 minutes, um, of, uh, of, of putting our 21st century proclivities onto a culture. In, in their time period, this is lifelong. What is his option? Let's get there. What is his option? He could remain in his position of servitude voluntarily. It says, if the, if the slave plainly says, or truly says, literally it says, if the slave saying he says, so there's that repetition that conveys conviction and diligence, that he, he really wants to do this. If he truly loves his master, first, what does that tell you about the master? He's willing to do this. With, so this is someone he, who is... Who is Championed him, who's benefited him, who's been a good uh, employer, uh, and he truly loves his wife and children. Uh, again, before God, it says he's taken the the master's taken before God, and that just so you know that usually involves the formal authorities. Let that sink in. That's before God, and and read Romans thirteen, um, and here it's probably the judges. You have this ritual. This is a bloody ritual. I don't know how people do the, the big circle in the earth. I don't get that because that just seems awfully painful to me. To, be, to have something run through your ear uh, against a doorpost. What is that, that a picture of? When you get affixed to a door, you are affixed. <laughs> You're permanently a part of the house. It is an eternal covenant between you and the master. You are now part of the house, part of the, part of the service. And he does this even though there's no longer a debt to pay. There's not a debt to pay. It's been forgiven. He's free. And yet he voluntarily gets fixed to the door. The debt is forgiven. That's a covenant. Incidentally, in Deuteronomy 15, this applies to both male and female. Female slaves could also be affixed to the master's house. So now we get to the really sticky stuff in 10 minutes. Look at verse 7 through 11. What do we do with this odd bit with the girl slaves? What's going on here? That seems to be the intent, doesn't it? Because if that's, if that's what female slaves were, then how could female slaves be married to a male slave like in the previous person? Well, depends. Were there female slaves that weren't wives that like Maybe, maybe if the master considers a slave like a son, maybe that's what's going on. There's a lot of, a lot of questions here. I don't know. I think what's going on is that you have, again, an indentured situation where a slave uh, is a daughter of someone who owes a lot of money, and the father who owes a lot of money isn't able to pay a dowry for her. So he says, here, she'll serve you. I won't have to pay a dowry, but she's serving you with the intent of being married to you or married to your son. He provides protection, comfort, and security for his daughter in that situation. Yeah. Well, this is, again, an indentured servant situation. And there's very, very important difference in this slavery here. Okay? 
the slavery of daughters uh, in the surrounding cultures, it, they became, it was a, a, an abusive situation. Here, she's better protected and not to be treated like other slaves. Even, she's, even, she's treated even better than the male slaves here. Uh, it presupposes that she will marry the master or his son. She has the status of a betrothed woman, a married woman in the culture, and yet called a slave. But she has the status of a married woman. Um, the daughter is to be treated kindly and with the utmost respect by the master. What protection does she have if they don't get married? It says if, if she displeases him. That's a very general term. A very general term. It doesn't, it doesn't anticipate necessarily that she's broken the law or she has some moral failing. For any reason, if she, if she displeases him, what's the, what's, the, what's the consequence of that? Debt's forgiven. He must ensure that she goes free. He can't sell her to foreign people. What does it call the master in this situation? What's the word used? If he is what? Deceitful to her. There's a promise of marriage here. Some, some translations would say unfaithful to her. I believe... Eight, yes. Then he shall let her be redeemed. Since he has broken faith with her. Broken faith, with her. Broken faith deceitful, unfaithful. Those are all the words that are used in the various English translations for this situation. It's his fault it doesn't work out. Now think of that in terms of human worth in this situation. When in other cultures, if you didn't like a woman, she just disappeared nobody asked questions. Here... She has rights, and she is to be treated with respect, and if he decides not to marry her, the shame on him. <laughs> what does it say about how he's to treat her if she's to marry his son? What, are the, what does the language use? As a daughter. Is that abusive? No. Like a daughter. It's a legal term. She's to be treated as a freeborn woman. Full citizenship rights are granted to her. And if he finds a cuter young thing, he can't neglect her. What happens then? He's to provide for her, right? What is he to provide? Food, clothing. What does that mean? Marwart. Food, clothing, marital rights. I will, I, will, uh, I will let you in on a secret. Nobody knows what this means. All the English translations say marital rights. This is the only time this word in the Hebrew is used in the entire Bible, I think. Yes. Um, and for, gosh, hundreds of years it's been translated marital rights. Recent studies uh, on, on extra-biblical use of these three terms suggests it might instead be oil. <laughs> Food, clothing, and oil. To, to provide and to be... Uh, because this is a betrothed situation. This isn't a marriage yet. He can still put her away. It's betrothed. So, do that what you will. The studies out there show that may not be what you're thinking of as marital rights. 
that it may just be support and, and her ability to provide for herself and cook for herself. Kevin? Yes, sir. Um, I think the big picture of why we might be, why this might be here is one, this is the temporary law. This isn't the, the Ten Commandments. Second, they just came out of Egypt, full of slavery. Maybe they adopted some of the slave practices over more than 30 years. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is a political hot topic. Maybe they get the Ten Commandments and they're like, okay, we get the Ten Commandments, but what about slaves? What about society? And this is one of the biggest questions, and it is temporary. That's why it's addressed first. Look at the three things we're dealing with, and I think you're right. Look at the three things we're dealing with here. In verses 1 through 4, we have a picture of God's deliverance from slavery of Israel, right? They're, they're set free in a year, a Sabbath year. They're set free. These slaves are set free. In the second section, we have the picture of a heartfelt response from the, the debtor, the sl a debt I cannot pay. The heartfelt response from a debtor to the master. A picture of the response of the people to God in, in, in a covenant relationship. I love my master. I love the family he has provided. I want to serve him for the rest of my life. Do you see that? That's the picture. And then in the third picture with the, the slave girl that we all kind of kind of wrinkle our noses and, and kind of wince at, the picture is, is of God's faithfulness. This master has to provide for this girl. He has to protect her. He has to treat her like a freeborn woman. God's faithfulness to his people is in view here. I think he starts here because that's what they're most familiar with. They've just been in it for 430 years. This is the way we're to treat people in the debtor-creditor situation. In that time period, he takes the culture, turns it on its head to display the value of human worth, the value of human life, people who are made in his image, who have messed up, but they have a way to get out of it, and it's not onerous. Okay? And... It's a picture of who he is, what he's done for them, and what he requires of their response to him in the covenant. I love my master. I love the family he's provided. And it brought me to this, to this section, Philippians 2, verse 5 through 9. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now we have really cleaned up the language in, in our English New Testaments. The, the word used here is doulos. It means slave. But more than a slave, it means bond slave. What is a bond slave? It's a guy who's had his ear pierced to the door and is a slave forever, voluntarily. Christ takes on the form of a bond slave, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. For the sake of the love of his father, he becomes a bond slave to God. 
Consequently, when Christ came into the world, this is Hebrews 10, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. He came to do the will of his Father. He covenanted with the Father as a bond slave. A doulos. And he does this for the sake of the love of his father and for the sake of his love for the family given to him by his father. John 6.37 says, All that the father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Do you see the picture? He was pierced to wood, and he bears the marks of that covenant on his body forever. He was forever bound to an eternal covenant with his father in faithfulness to his people and the joy set before him. He bears the marks of that covenant in his hands and feet. So what's our response? You do a casual reading through the New Testament, just like the first three verses of every letter written. How do the apostles and the writers of the New Testament identify themselves? Servant of Christ Jesus, servant, doulos, bond, slave, pierced forever with him, a <coughs> part of his family. That's how they most often introduce himself in these letters. They're not a hired guy. They're not paying off debt. They're there because they love the master and the family that he's provided. Because of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. He's delivered us from the harsh slavery of sin, death, and the grave. He is faithful to transform us one day into the image of his son. Can we do no less than say, I love my master and the family he has provided. I'm not going to leave. That's the response. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Dulos. You come to Christ, you come willingly as a slave. Does that make sense? I think that's why this is here among the other cultural reasons, I think ultimately it's a picture of Christ and the church. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay? Nodding of heads? Any other comments? Yes? I was getting nervous when Hannah asked questions. Go ahead. Yeah, that's not going to happen, is it? I think that well, I don't know. Well, it's a parable, so he it was. We don't know if it was based on recent events. Um, I don't think it was because he talks about him owing 
like a lifetime's worth of wages that he'd never be able to pay off. And so, um, and it's a king, so there may be some differences there. He may be talking about a Gentile king there. I'm not sure. But, yeah, I mean, you're looking at a, a picture of um, a guy who's let free, owing a lifetime's worth of debt, and yet is unforgiving to other debtors to him for, you know, about 95 or whatever, basically, is the idea. I mean, you have the same issue. Um, he's, forgiven a, he's forgiven a debt and yet treats others not in a way, not, as a, not like he loves the master for forgiving the debt, but, um, but in a spiteful way. It displays, he doesn't get grace. Yeah. So is that the question? Um, well, I don't know sure I answer the question. Start talking. I was just kind of wondering about like the debtor's prison because I know like that's been a thing in like, um, I mean like in European cultures. Right. Stuff. Right. But I was just wondering because that's obviously not the provision that God gives. No. It's not a very logically economic. No. Provision. It's a you're punishment. Gonna, yeah. Right. You're not going to pay off a debt. And and I'm wondering if that maybe was a provision in Roman law. Okay. That, at the time. Uh, we could nitpick a little bit. Yeah. It'd be too introspective, but the okay. word jailers there yeah. means torturers. Uh-huh. So it could just be some like mercenary type of dude that's like, hey, torture him until he pays his debt. So he gives him to, to the guidos in jail. And just breaks the ankles and breaks yeah, the nails. Like, uh, breaks the uh, and knees. Nails. The knees. Not my nails. Go ahead. Okay. In verse 11, <coughs> I was wondering that she doesn't get anything if none of the things are provided by the master. Yeah, she goes but out free. Yet if she is, if she is promised to be the wife of his son, uh-huh. why is it that she still gets nothing if the promise is? She gets her freedom. But if it's just like, oh, I'm free now, or if that like, um, I'm free and my debt is forgiven. Yeah, freedom means your debt's forgiven. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the debt's gone. Okay. She no longer has to serve in the house. But She's it's not her. like she has to go and try again with another. Yeah, she doesn't have to find another master. She's free. But she still gets nothing. She well, goes, she gets her freedom. It says she goes out for nothing, which means nothing has to be paid to redeem. Right. So she, that's the redemption. His displeasure, his unfaithfulness to her, that counts as redemption. She, she can go free. A tough passage. But I hope you see the picture. Um, all right. Well, we probably better pray since it's 10-10. We should get here earlier. Father, thank you for this passage. All scriptures God breathed and profitable for teaching, correction, exhortation, and for our benefit to see the beauty of Christ and what he's done for us by fixing himself to the house. The house that you're building is the church. You gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Father, we thank you for the picture that we have here. It's tough for us to to wrestle with this, not being from the culture of the ancient Near East. But I pray, Father, that by your spirit we would see the beauty that you um, are working here through that culture to display your faithfulness and the heartfelt response that you call us to have as bond slaves to you through the new covenant in Christ. 
Make us willing in the day of your power, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.